Father, we just thank you that we can have the freedom in this nation to come and to worship you publicly and openly. And we're conscious that today there are many, many of our brothers and sisters around the world that do not have this freedom. And it's so easy for us because we've always had it to take it for granted, but may we never, ever do that because when we begin to do that, we're vulnerable to lose it. So, Father, we pray today as you continue to draw us closer to you, that you continue to stir up your Holy Spirit, that he may manifest yourself to us and make yourself real, that we are believing you, Father, to continue to help us to grow and mature. So we pray this morning for those individuals that are watching and are listening this morning, that everything they need to hear they will hear this morning what you want to say to them they were their hearts their minds are open and father for us together as a congregation that we may have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to grasp what your spirit is saying to us for not only are you speaking to us individually but you're speaking us to, to together as a community of believers here for you've called us together for such a time as this So, Father, as best I know how, I have prepared and I yield myself to your Holy Spirit to speak only what you would say and only with the heart with which you would give it. And may your will be done today through this time we have together. And may everything that's said be pleasing in your sight. And for the grace to do this, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We've been uh, in a series, and then we have many series under these. The series has been called Pulling Back the Curtain, and I think that's, yeah, that's the graphic they have up there. And it's so important, and I'm encouraged because I've heard back from a number of you of how this has been helping you. And the idea behind it that I really believe God gave me is to remind us, those of us that are aware of it, and to teach those of us that may not have ever heard this before, that there's a reality that's behind the curtain. And the curtain refers to what the Bible calls the veil of your flesh. It refers to everything that in, in our world that is recognized and, 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 uh, and detected by our five senses. So things we can te- feel, touch, hear, taste, and smell. Those the Bible refers to as this natural world or this carnal world. Carnal is not necessarily bad. Carnal just means it's this real life, this life we consider as real. It's also the world that we understand and create with our mind. But on the other side of that curtain, there's a reality that is critically important to us because, first of all, it's eternal. And on the other side of that curtain, there's a, there, there are spiritual beings Angels and demons, I won't get into who the demons are, but they're very real. And there is an ultimate demon, which is Lucifer, who used to be Lucifer, who's Satan now. And then there's also the, 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 the good side, there's the angelic forces. And all of these are operating in our lives, around our lives, in our community, in our families, and in this nation, and they are having a dramatic effect and most of us are living around oblivious to or, or ignorant of what's really going on behind the curtain. But it has a direct and a powerful impact on our lives, on our families, and on this world that we're living in. In fact, what we are seeing right now played out is a drama that's orchestrated from the other side of the curtain. And, 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 and God is on the other side of the curtain. We saw him. I mean, we peeked. Um, and we saw that he's a father and that he is ultimately in control. And that's important to recognize he's there and he is just not out of control for him. And we talked about prayer, the power of prayer, because the power of prayer is that it's reaching behind the curtain to the forces that are operating in our lives and then pulling into this side the power of God from that side to touch and affect our lives. And, and when you begin to understand that, you realize that your prayers offered in faith are not just hopeful things thrown up, but you're connecting with spiritual beings and spiritual forces that, can have, that have an impact on this world. 
And then we looked at the, the behind the curtain in us, on the other side of the curtain that's you and me, and this because we live in a body that's also of this material realm. And we talked about the, the Bible teaches that there are three parts to you, your spirit, soul, and your body. And your spirit being is who you really are. That's the reality. That's the being on the inside of you. And your soul is your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your body is this earth suit that you live in. It is, comes from this realm. It comes from the dust of this earth. And to the dust it will return when you're done with it. And you can't exist and function in this realm unless you are in an earth suit unless you have something that God has designed from this material substance. But that's not who you are. The reality is who you are on the inside. And we spent time talking about that. That if you're a Christian, if you are really a follower of Christ, then you are a child of God. That's who you really are on the inside. And God lives in you. Christ lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And he's in there with all the kingdom of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the direction of God. All, all of who he is, the potential for all of that is in you. First, second, Ephesians chapter 3 around verse 20 talks about who God is able to do exceed. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. That's prayer. According to the power that's in heaven that comes down. No, according to the power that's in you right now. So whatever you're facing, whatever situation God places you in, He's placed you in that situation because what He's put in you, He wants to bring out of you to touch and affect the situation where He's placed you. This is why it's so important for the church to understand that in a time you and I are living in, with everything going crazy, and then with the pandemic, and now it seems to be coming back again, all the threats of all this, we met a couple just yesterday, and we got talking to them at breakfast and just sharing with them. I said, but I've taught teaching the church that it's, God's put us here for such a time as this. So if our goal is to survive, we've missed it. God didn't put you here to survive. If that was His goal, He would have taken us out long ago. He loves you too much. But He's put us here because there's a purpose, because there are, there are people beyond you and me that God cares about, that God wants to reach and change and transform their lives as He has ours. And that's why we're here. But the church is, because we've not lived, be aware of what's behind the curtain, or because we've forgotten, or because we have an enemy who's very good at keeping our focus on this side, that we live without the power that God is, it's in us, but without the power that God has put in our lives to change us. So we've been looking at how do we get what God's put on the inside out so that it affects our life and the lives of people that God brings us in touch with. And so we, we began to look at, uh, several weeks ago, that one of the tools that God gives us is His Word. When we get into the renewing the mind of, which I'm, it's a few weeks we'll get into that, it really is all about this. It's taking the Word of God and getting it in you. And most people don't realize that it's not just reading the Word. What's important, it's not just memorizing the word. That's good because then you have it, nobody can take it away from you. But it's how do I get that word in you? One of the verses that's just resonated me for a number of years now because it's really about prayer. In John 15, 7, Jesus said, this is Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you want and it shall be done for you. By this... My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. He's talking primarily about prayer, that your prayers bear fruit. And the key is that you abide in Him. We'll talk about that another time. But that, and that His words abide in you. Not that you know the Word. Not that you can recite the Word. I mean, that's one of the challenges I've had. I've been walking with the Lord for 43 years. I've taught the Word for 25, 27 years. 
and I've, I've got, I've, I've meditated on it so much that I, I can have scriptures coming out of me like that while I'm thinking about the Patriots or supper. All right, because my mind—they're just the programs in my mind. So it's not what's in your mind; it's what gets down in your heart. And we talked about that last week because we went through the the, the, the parable that Jesus taught about this, which is in Matthew 13. It's in other, it's in the other gospels, the the other uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's it's the principle of the word is the seed. It's the principle of sowing seeds talks about the farmer that sowed the seed. And back then, they didn't do it with a machine. They just scattered the seed. And he talks about the seed represents the Word of God. And Jesus said, if you can get this one, if you can't get this message, this parable, then you're not going to understand anything else I teach you. So it was critical. Because Jesus taught by the Word. And it's what is that Word? Does it get into your heart? And if it gets into your heart, what else is in your heart that's competing with it? Because if that word gets in your heart and it is allowed to germinate, it will produce, it will produce whatever is in that seed. That word will reproduce itself. All you have to do is get it in your heart and make sure it stays in your heart and make sure nothing else gets in your heart to choke it and it will produce. So today we're going to begin to talk about how do you get it into your heart. And the key is to meditate on the Word. To meditate on the Word. Go to Galatians 5. This is what we, we talked about this last week. Galatians 5.16 says that, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. So this is the Bible term for living behind the, veil, the, the curtain. My term is living behind the curtain. But the Bible term is walking in the Spirit. And what that means is to learn to live your life, although you live in a body that's talking to you all the time, telling you you're tired, you're hungry, you don't feel the way you did yesterday, you know, whatever, uh, all these things that's talking to you, and we live in a world that's trying to get access to your body, but you have the Spirit being. So walking in the Spirit is learning to live more conscious of that Spirit being that's in you than the world that's around you so that you're not controlled and moved by it. You, you need to be aware of the world that's around you, especially when you're driving home today. Make sure when you pull out on 195, you're aware of what's coming down that lane that you're pulling into. But, but you've got to become so conscious in fact, I'll give you an example. This is literally true. Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, who was the founder of the school we went to, really was an apostle of faith. He didn't invent it, but he, God used him to really teach it at a, at, at a critical level. I know people that would travel with him. And when they would go to lunch, they would, they would say, I remember was somebody telling me they couldn't believe it, is that they got in the car and he said, I think we'll go we'll find a steakhouse. And they said, well, just, so he was riding. He told the driver, go down here, turn left here. And they said, no, no, turn over, turn right here. And went back through these country roads, and they ended up at a steakhouse. Now, they didn't have GPS back then. They didn't have the internet back then. He said, have you ever been here? He said, no, I've never been here before. So how do you know to get here? He said, I asked the Holy Spirit to show me where to go. Thought, well, how, I'd love to do that. Well, he didn't just come to church on Sunday morning. He spent time communicating with the Holy Spirit. He spent time putting the Word in Him, which is the very tool that the Holy Spirit uses. But I'm sharing that with you to show you the potential that's available to every one of us. The Holy Spirit... Well, I, I remember traveling. This wasn't in my notes, but we'll just... I'll be back next Sunday, so we'll... I remember when we were going to school, I want to learn this. So where we first lived, we had about a 20, 25-minute ride on a backcountry road. And we're riding along. Of course, you're a student. You're, you're full of all these stories. You're trying to practice them all. And I'm following this, this car. We're late for school. And I, we've got Anita's with me and two ladies that go to school. We're in our same apartment built complex. And we're going along. And all of a sudden, I have this sense, slow down. Okay. So there's no risk in slowing down. 
And what happened is there was a car in front of me that had plywood on the roof. And I slowed down, and within just a few moments of slowing down, that plywood flipped off the roof and landed right in front of our car. Now, see, the Holy Spirit knew that was going to happen. If I had not been sensitive at all, I don't know what could have happened. So a lot of things that happen in our lives, well, how did that happen? Maybe God was trying to help you beforehand, and you were just so conscious of this side of the curtain that you weren't aware of what, from the other side of the curtain, He was trying to let you know. I shared with you last week, I believe in the morning when you spend your time with the Lord, that He, will, he knows what your day is going to mean. And so He may lead you to a scripture. Don't take lightly those impressions that you get. Because the Holy Spirit is in you trying to teach you, trying to help you, trying to learn. Okay, then we saw, so meditate on the Word. Okay, it's not just reading it or memorizing it, that's just done with your mind. We'll learn this when we talk about renewing the mind. Your mind is the gateway into your heart. Nothing gets into your heart unless your mind opens the gate and allows it in. And on the other side, nothing comes out and gets spoken or done unless your mind accepts it and approves it. So your mind is a gateway into your spirit, into your heart, and back out of your heart, which is why renewing the mind is so, so important. It's like this. I've used this example before, but it's the best one I can think of. <clears throat> there are people whose job is to taste wine or food. And you have some... And, and so what they do is, if you have a, a wine taster, and I'm not suggesting re- drink wine or not drink wine, but it's, it's the best example I can think of. Well, if they sat there all day and just drank the different wines, by late morning their judgment's not going to be all that cool, and by mid-afternoon, I don't know where they're going to be, on the floor. All right? So their employer does not let them drink it, So they put it in their mouth, and they run it around in their mouth, and they know just where to run it over their tongue, and they're trained to what they're tasting. They've trained their senses to what that taste is like. And then when they're fully engaged with that taste, they spit it out. So although they're enjoying the taste of that wine or a food, whatever it is, It's not doing their body any good. It's not affecting their body because it's not getting down into their digestive system because what your digestive system does is it takes that food you tasted and now it turns it into something productive. It now becomes part of you. And what Jesus said in in John 15, 7 is if you abide in me and my word abides in you, it has to become part of you. And you say, what does that mean? When it does, you'll know it. You'll know it. And so that, so simply reading the Word, and that's good because it won't get in you if you don't read it. Reading it, you can get knowledge of the different books. You can get knowledge, and that's, that's great to do. We need to do that. But that's not meditating. Meditating is when you, when you do what that, you know, if you ever eaten something, It's just really delicious, and you don't want to swallow it too quickly. Because once you swallow it, the taste is gone. So it's like, maybe it's ice cream. I'm going to lose some of you here. <laughs> Whatever your favorite dish is, maybe your, your wife cooks it for you, or your favorite restaurant, and you just get this in your mouth, and, I don't want to swallow it just yet. I just want to enjoy the taste of it. And then you have to swallow it. You're, you're, you see, God, wasn't, God knows in order that we need to eat. So He made eating an enjoyable experience. It's just when that joy controls what we eat, that's when we make, get an error. So God made our taste buds so that we can enjoy what we're eating. It also helps us to discern whether something's safe to eat or not. We found something. I forgot what it was the other day. 
that had been stuck at the back of the refrigerator somewhere and Anita took it out and it was just one taste is, no, that's not good to eat so I wouldn't put it in my heart, I mean my stomach. Hmm. So we need taste that can discern. But the point is the word, so when you come to church on Sunday and you hear the word and you're getting excited about it, it's just in your mouth. You're enjoying the experience of it. But that's not the same as getting it in your heart. So what is meditating? How do we do it? When we get into renewing the mind, we'll give you some very definite tools. But it's letting your mind dwell on it. Let it run around in your mind. What I find is I do that, then the Holy Spirit will begin to kind of paint pictures for me. It's like He'll open it up for me. But it doesn't happen just because I've spoken the word or meditate. So I'll, I'll mutter it to my... The word meditate actually means to mutter. Talk to yourself. You do it all the time anyway. But talk the word to yourself. God's not giving me a spirit of fear. But of power? What's that mean? And of love. Hmm. That means God's given me a spirit that has love in it. And a sound mind. No matter how what I forgot yesterday and where I couldn't find my phone... I must have a sound mind because God's Word says that's what He's given me. So I talk that to myself. When I'm in the shower, I talk, I talk scriptures. I have a pattern of scriptures that I've just learned to teach to my, talk to myself and just settle down inside of me as many times as I've taught them. So, but you know, you're already an expert at it. I am? Oh yeah, you've been practicing it for years. Because that's what worry is. Worry is meditating. So if you can worry, you already can meditate. You just have to change what you're worrying about. So it's, it's getting it down inside of you. And we'll go through more of that when we do renewing the mind. But the second part that has to do with the Word, that we so often forget, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. You must then do what the Word says. It's not enough to get it in you, because if you just get it in you, and then you don't do what it says, it will evaporate. James 1.21, there's a script set of scriptures here that are so, so good when it comes to this. Therefore, now look at the context of what he's talking about here. Remember we read in, in, we, last week, and we touched on it today, in, in, in Galatians 5 it says, if you walk in the Spirit, so if, you're, if you live more conscious of the Spirit person on the inside of you and the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and the Word on the inside of you, then you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Most Christians are trying to put the lust of their flesh... Well, they probably are not. But the serious Christians are trying to get control of the lust of their flesh by their own self-will. How's that working for you? It's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible doesn't say, get control of your flesh, of your lust, and put them under. It says, I've already given you the means to do it. If you just walk in the Spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. Why? Because the reality of God inside of you is so wonderful, so glorious, that those other things that used to attract your senses just don't. There are things that I used to watch on television, nothing bad. I go to look at them now and say, it's, it's just junk. It's like junk food. With what God's doing in me, I don't want to just waste my... It's not, that nobody's, it's not somebody's telling me, don't watch that. It's like, I don't have an appetite for it anymore. If you walk in the Spirit, and He begins to grow in you and, and, and work in you in how real He is in you, you won't fulfill the lusts of your flesh. So go back to James. Yeah, okay. So he's talking about the same thing. So therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive... With me. Now he's talking about here how receiving the word, just what we're talking about. Receive with meekness. That means 
You're not proud. You're willing. God, I need you to teach me. God, I need you to show me what I need to know today. So receive with meekness the implanted or sown word, which is able to save your souls. He's not talking here about going to heaven. Salvation is so much more than just going to heaven. The word salvation in the Greek is sozio, which means to make you completely whole, make you into the potential that God has for you, to bring who he's, what He's put on the inside to the outside. And notice it's that word implanted in you which is able to do it. So it has the ability to do that. But go to the next verse. But you've got to be doers of that word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. It's one thing if the devil deceives you or somebody else. It's another thing to do it to yourself. Deceiving yourself. Keep going. But if any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He observes himself. He sees what, who he really is. He sees when you read the Word. The Word is a mirror to show you who you are on the inside, all the things we're talking about. That mirror is there to show you who you are. So when that Word begins to get in you, the Spirit of God in you will begin to say, that's who you are. But then when you don't act on it, you go away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Go back to verse 23. Twenty-two. Deceiving ourselves. I asked the Lord one time, I says, how show me how to not do what I've read is deceiving myself. And the Lord showed me this. He said, because when you hear the word, you see the potential. You see what I've done. You see who I say you are. You see, you, you, you get hope. You get excited. And when you mis- then you mistake that hope and excitement for being there. It's kind of like watching a, a, a video advertisement for a cruise to a Caribbean island. And they play the music, and you can see the sand and all this stuff. And you just kind of think about that as, oh, wow, that would be wonderful. And then it ends, and you go back to the snow piles outside. <laughs> it's not enough to just put the word in. This is what God's saying to us. If you want that word to work, if you want that seed to grow, you have to begin to act on what the word says. So let's spend a little time, in fact, the rest of this morning, talking about this. I want to, I want to give you some concepts that I've learned from a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book called The Cost of Discipleship, which is a challenging book to read, but it's changed my life. It's not for weak hearts, but it's for hearts that really want to know, really want that deep intimacy. We sang today, I give myself away. And it's so easy to sing it in church and get emotional, just what we're talking about. And then we go back out there and we take control of our lives all over again. He made this statement early on, because what he's talking about, the, 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 I don't want to get off on it because we'll lose time here. But it's addressing what was, what was rampant in the church. It was written in the 40s, early, late 30s and early 40s, in Germany, where Nazism was rising. And, and what they believed was, Christians believed was really getting tested. And what had come out of the church at the time was a teaching on grace, which is very similar to the teaching on grace that's in the, in the church by and large today. And Bonhoeffer coined this term, cheap grace. And the words he used is, we come to believe that God justifies sin on the cross. 
But he said, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God justifies the sinner. He doesn't justify your sin. And Bonhoeffer talks about Jesus called his disciples to lay down their lives, deny themselves, take up their cross like his cross, and then follow him. So it wasn't just take them on a journey and it's going to be... There was a, there's, a, there's a cost to following Christ, if you're sincere. We're going to talk about that in September. We have a baptism service coming up, and I want to teach you what baptism really is all about. Well, I don't know what it's all about, but what, I'm going to, what I've been learning. So Bonhoeffer's statement, and they're going to... Can you put it up there if you have it? Only he who obeys believes, and only he who believes obeys. What he's teaching here is faith and obedience are two sides to the same coin. So you, you can't have, I don't know what they make them out of now, but you can't have a quarter that doesn't have a head and have a tails on it. So when they, they, they start a, a football game and they're going to pick who gets it first and they flip a coin, there's not just something on one side and nothing on the other side. So to say something's two sides of the same coin mean they're both necessary, but they're, they're two different aspects of the same thing. And so what the Bible teaches and what he's saying here uh, is... I, okay, they got more of it than I wanted, but that's okay. Is, is, um, this is right from my notes, so if you want to download my notes, you can get those. Um, faith, to be faith, requires obedience to what you believe. And you, but you can't obey without faith. So it's kind of like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yes. By the way, there is an answer to that from the Bible. The chicken came before the egg. Right. But you understand the term. So, that's what we're going to talk about, because this, when I first read it, it was confusing to me. So I want to break this down. This is what, how God showed it to me. Obedience comes out of your will. Obedience, this is going to be teaching now, but it's so important. We're going to break down how you operate. Obedience comes out of your will. Your will determines what you will do and what you won't do. You can have the best of intentions, and many of us have had the best of intentions. It's called a diet in January. I've got to lose this weight. I've got to get rid of this weight. You have the best of intentions. You're sincere, but you haven't really willed, willed to do it. Gary, would you come up here for a second? I'm going to have you fill in for Denny since he's not here with us anymore. This is what Denny... Yeah, I know. But you're strong enough. So, I learned a principle a long time ago. One of the things that determines where your body will go is your center of gravity. I had a, a football coach. I wasn't playing. I was, the, I was the guy that picked up the towels. But he was teaching the guys how to play defense and how to not be fooled when the guy that's coming at you with the ball fakes with his head or fakes with his hands or even fakes with his feet. He said, don't watch his feet. Don't watch his hands. Don't watch his eyes. Watch his belly button. Because that's the center of it. He can't go anywhere without it. You can go this way and actually move this way. You can do a head fake and move over. But you can look this way and go this way, but you can't go this way with your center of gravity and be over here. So I want to show you an example of this. Let's, let's go up on the stage. You, you, did you have your Wheaties this morning? Okay, all right. You know what I'm going to do? Lean back. Yeah, okay. All right. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to... We sang this morning, Lord, I give myself away. Lord, I give myself to you. I trust, I trust my life to you. Let's see how well I do. All right. This is where many of us are. Lord, I've given myself to you. Lord, I love you with all my heart. But I still got control because my center of gravity is still here. But when I will, when I let go of my will to Him, now He has my will. But I had to let it go. Thank you. Good job. 
Your will is what Satan's after. We'll learn this. And your will is what the Spirit of God is after. And neither of them can take it until you give it to them. Now, I want to help you understand the difference between your will and some other things that affect you. There are three things. Wishing, wanting, and willing. When you wish something, you're responding to something that you see or you've experienced and maybe something that you see a quality in someone else or maybe you're window shopping and say, you know what, I wish I had that. And that's a real legitimate desire triggered by something you saw, something you heard. The next thing is wanting something. That's stronger. That's a little more focused. And that's often triggered by things that you see. I have an iPhone 8. Had it for three years. Okay, she's laughing. She knows where I'm going with this. Been perfectly happy with it. My wife had this old phone. She was getting frustrated with it. So this week we went out and got her an iPhone 11 that's bigger. All right? So she can... Anyway, it's bigger. Okay? The moment she got it, I wanted one. I was perfectly content. And now I want what she has because I see it. (laughs) And God made us that way so that we influence one another. We see qualities in somebody else and I want that. Or we're reading our Bible and we see qualities in Jesus. Or Paul, the Apostle Paul. I want to be like that. And that's godly. That's good. Now, you've got to be careful what you're wanting. But wanting it is not the same of willing, committing my will to do it. Because the difference between willing and wishing, between wishing and wanting, and then willing, is the people that wish and want are not willing to pay the price to get what they wish for and what they want. I heard a quarterback years ago, famous quarterback, say, I'm aware that every Sunday morning there are hundreds of men out there that could be better at what I'm doing than I'm doing. But the difference is they're lying on their couch with their Bud Light and their chips. And I've paid the price to be on that field. Tom Brady is a phenomenon because at 43 or 40, whatever it is, he's winning Super Bowls. It's not an accident. I mean, he's obviously skilled, but there are more skilled football, there are more skilled uh, quarterbacks out there but he has a regimen of what he eats, what he does, that at his age, most men are looking back to, you know, I'm facing a midlife crisis or something like that. And he's succeeding because he's willing to pay a price. These Olympic athletes pay a price because they will to do something instead of just wanting to do it. So the word in you, in order to obey it, your will has to be involved. And I want to just quickly give you a story. Put, put up Ezekiel 33. I want to show this. You got it there? Okay. Now this is, a, this is God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel and God has, has taken the, the, the southern part of the nation of Israel called Judah and he's put them into, uh, he's let them be taken by the uh, Babylonians into captivity. There's a reason for it. It's God's grace actually. And, and, and but while God has them in this captivity for seven years, 70 years, he's faithful to give them men of God. And Ezekiel was one of those to help them through this process. And so Ezekiel is preaching what they're going to happen, what God's going to do. He has great prophecies about the, 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 the final temple that God's going to establish, what he, that God still has a purpose for Israel. But then God speaks to his man and tells him how well the congregation's listening. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook and in the doors of their houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that's coming from the Lord. Verse 31. Next verse. So they come to you as people do. Still the same today. And they sit before you, my people. And they hear your words, but they don't do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. 
Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice, who can play well on an instrument, and they hear your words and do not do them. Stop there a second. What he's saying to Ezekiel, he says, you're a good entertainer. Not that he was, but they come to you for entertainment. What is entertainment? It makes us feel better. When you go to a movie or you go to watch something on TV or you go to, you go to a concert or something like that, you, 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 you go for the experience of the moment. And it leaves you with this feeling of, oh, that was wonderful. That's what was happening then. That's what James is talking about. You're hearers, but, you're doer, but not doers, so you're deceiving yourself. You think you've got the Word planted in you, but it won't work because you're not doing what the Word says because that's the other side of its faith and obedience. And when this comes to pass, and surely it will come, then they will know that there's a prophet has been among them. So God was sending a message to them, but, and they were experiencing the Word, but it wasn't having an effect on them because they had not decided to listen, and it's an act of our will. Matthew 5, 14, we'll get into this. I have to describe some of it. This is a story of Peter walking on the water. And this is about as vivid as you can get about this principle. Jesus met his disciples to get into the boat. Well, go down to the next verse. Jesus sent his disciples away in the boat. He's up on the mountain praying. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was alone there. Verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. This is, to me personally, one of the most important stories in the New Testament. Because it's so vividly, it so vividly shows us exactly what faith is. And faith is necessary for everything we do with God. The fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Not in another boat, not walking on strategically placed rocks. You need to, need to let that sink in. You're in the boat. It's the middle of the night. It's one of your boats because you guys were fishermen. This is your lake that you're used to being out on. And the wind picks up as it does there quickly. And they're being tossed around. And but this time Jesus isn't with them because the last time he was asleep in the back of the boat and they could wake him up, but he's nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt like that? You're in the middle of a storm and you don't know where he is? One thing, if he's there asleep, you don't even know whether he knows you're there. And they look up and he's coming to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were troubled. I believe that trouble, word trouble doesn't begin to describe how they felt. It's already scary. They're afraid they're going to go down. And now they see and in their mind, because they're going to, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Their mind's going to interpret what the facts, the data that's coming in through their eyes in terms of what they understand of what's possible on this side of the curtain. So their conclusion is, it's a ghost. Can't be a person, because people can't walk on water. So their mind thinking in terms that they've learned on this side of the curtain come to the conclusion, it's got to be a ghost. Now they're even more afraid. And they cried out, And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. That doesn't begin to say what the Greek says. In the Greek it says, Be boldly courageous, I am. And they knew what I am meant. Be boldly courageous, I am. Be not afraid. So fear is an emotion, but it's centered in your will. You can choose to not be afraid. Now that may seem impossible to you. It may seem overwhelming to you because you've been thinking on this side of the curtain. Because you're so conscious of what's going on in this side of the curtain. 
because you've not sown the seed of this into your heart so that the Spirit of God can now take that seed and begin to bring it out. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you in the water. I I, I always wonder, was it just Peter's boldness? But Jesus had said, be boldly courageous. And if anyone was going to respond to that and say, that's me, that was Peter. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now we're talking about obedience and faith are two sides of the same coin. It's not enough to have the word, you've got to do the word for it to work in your life. Next verse. So Jesus said, come. And I want to let this sink down into your understanding. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, imagine yourself out there on that storm, in that wind, already afraid, And Jesus is standing out there on the water and he says, come. That's the word. Peter had the word. And it was spoken to all 12 of them. But Peter did something the other 11 didn't. He acted on that word. And I've often pictured what it must have been like to sit on that edge of that boat and put his feet over the side. And while he's sitting there, he's going up and down and the wind's blowing. And he's, that's one thing. That's like me leaning towards Gary. But then there had to come a point when he did this. He stepped out on the word, come. Because you can't walk on water. But you can walk on any word that Jesus speaks. Because in that word, it's a seed. In that word is the ability of God to bring it to pass. But Peter only experienced that because he stepped out on the word that Jesus spoke. His trust was in Jesus' word, come. So we often thought Peter walked on the water. No, you can't do that. He walked on the word of God that said, come. Unfortunately, it's not the end of the story. Because he began to look at the wind and the waves. Go to the next verse. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Now, when did the wind start being boisterous? Then? No, it was boisterous before Jesus showed up. The wind's blowing, the sea's coming in his face. But, but which side of the curtain is the wind on? This side. Which side of the curtain is the spray of the sea in his face? This side. Which side of the the curtain is the authority of the word come? It's on the other side. So while Peter was acting conscious of what he knew from the other side, he could do the impossible to man. But the moment he took his eyes off of what's on the other side and began to think as 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 a mere man, he was reminded, you can't do this. He became afraid. Notice the, notice the correlation, the steps. He, he, he took his attention off of the Word and put his attention on the circumstances around it. And when he took his eyes off the Word and put his eyes on the circumstances around it, then he became afraid. He wasn't afraid when he stepped out of the boat because he wasn't looking at the circumstances. He was looking, he was attending to the Word. But see, isn't Jesus merciful? And he became afraid and began to sink. I saw one teacher talk about just the concept of begin. How do you begin to sink? If I step out of a boat, I don't begin to sink. I go. So this power must have not just pulled out from underneath him. It must have weakened. And he slowly began to sink. And he cried out to Jesus. Save me. And Jesus came to him, rescued him, and put him back in the boat. Now the interesting thing is when Jesus gets him back in the boat, Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you're extraordinary. Man, those other turkeys didn't even have the courage to step out of the boat. Boy, I'm so proud. I know you didn't quite make it, but I'm proud of you. That's not what he said at all. He rebuked Peter. 
he begs, man, why did you doubt? See, Jesus could not comprehend unbelief because he knew his father. He knew as faithful as father was. He said, Peter, why, why did you doubt? Notice Jesus didn't rebuke Peter for believing too much. I mean, Peter, who do you think you are? I'm the son of God here. I'm here to show who I am. You guys are just disciples. Your place is in the boat. No, he said, come, follow me. What, what's, what's he calling you to? What's he put in your heart? Maybe for your family? Maybe for his purpose for your life? Maybe for you to serve him in some capacity? What, 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 is, what, is he, what word has he spoken to you? And your concern is, I like the safety of the boat because I'm used to it. I'm familiar with this boat. I know it's held me up in every other storm I've been through and I'm just comfortable here. But Jesus wasn't in the boat. The safest place in that storm was not the boat because there they were trusting in their own ability. The safest place was out in the middle of the storm where Jesus said, Come. The safest place is in obedience to His Word. And that releases the power of God to perform the seed that you've sown in your life. We'll close with this verse, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Just read them. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, notice that, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about going to heaven there. He's talking about working to the outside what God has put on the inside. Just what we're talking about. Next verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So what has he been showing you? What have you read lately that's touched your heart? What word has resonated with you? That's a seed that's been sown into your heart. There's seeds sown this morning. But you choose to what degree that seed will bear fruit in your life. And it's not just important for you because the purpose of the seed bearing fruit isn't for the tree, it's whoever's going to enjoy the fruit that the tree produces. And God wants to produce fruit in your life and through your life that he can send others to smell the aroma of Christ in your life and then to partake of the fruit of his love, the fruit of his joy, the fruit of his peace in your life. And as they partake of that fruit that bears, he bears through you, they begin to experience through seeing you what Jesus is like. And that's God's purpose for us and for our lives. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these things and even the...